The following is a message by Dr. David Van Drunen from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. As we continue the faculty uh, series on the book of Hebrews, I want to read this morning uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, I'll read the first uh, 17 verses. I certainly can't uh, look at this uh, text in detail. There's a couple particular things I'd like to call your attention to, but let me read uh, the first 17 verses of Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This ends our reading of God's word. This last chapter of the book of Hebrews uh, is such that it can be a little difficult to see how it all fits together and what its unity is. You have some of these very practical moral exhortations, like keep the marriage bed pure and be free from the love of money, show hospitality. And you have also these very grand doctrinal statements. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, Here we do not have an enduring city, but we are awaiting the city that is uh, to come. One of the things that we see in the midst of what may seem in some ways to be this collection of moral commands and doctrinal statements that the author wanted to get in before he finished is we find these two commands, these two exhortations with respect to leaders in verses 7 and 17. Now I take these leaders 
uh, to be pastors. These are the leaders who spoke to you the word of God. It's certainly the case that I decided to uh, talk about these verses in particular in part because of the audience, uh, because of ministers present and many who are seeking uh, the ministry. I've preached this text in the context of ordination sermons. Uh, At the same time, it's important to remember that these verses are not commands to pastors. These are commands to the church as to how they should look at their pastors, how they should view them, and how they should treat uh, their leaders. And so with that in mind, uh, let us consider how the church is to look at its leaders in the light of Hebrews 13, but also for those of us who are in the ministry or pursuing it. Uh, hopefully there are many things that would give us thought as to about how we understand the office and how we should conduct ourselves within it. Now let's look first at verse 7 where the author says, remember your leaders who spoke to you uh, the word of God. The background, the immediate background to this statement uh, is our verses 5 and 6. Now in verses 5 and 6, the author says, I will ne- reminds us of God's promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is obviously a congregation hearing this text, which needed to be reminded of God's constant care of them, of God's protection of them. And this is certainly easy to understand in the light of the things about suffering that earlier in the book of Hebrews have come to our uh, attention. This seems to have been a congregation that was enduring trials and tribulations and also that was getting primed for more to come and worse to come. You might think, for example, of uh, Hebrews 12, verse 4, which says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's not the most encouraging thing to hear. You have not yet suffered to this point, which seems to indicate that they ought to be ready for this something to come. This is a congregation that needs to be encouraged in the midst of severe trials. They need to be reminded that God is always with them. He is their helper, that man ultimately has no power over them. And it's right after saying this that the author says, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. It seems that their leaders were part of God's gift to them to preserve them and protect them in the midst of these trials that they were suffering and that they were getting ready to endure. But notice that it is their leaders who spoke the word of God to them. He does not call attention to the leader's great strength to protect them from those persecuting them, but it is their leaders who minister the word of God that are part of their strength and their encouragement in the midst of their sufferings. This certainly makes a lot of sense, again, in the context of the book of Hebrews. We can just look ahead a couple of verses to verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Part of our sufferings in the present age are the false teachers who seek to lead astray the church. The word of God minister to God's people 
is a great gift to uphold and strengthen the church in the midst of those who oppose them. Of course, we might also consider the centrality and power of the word of God in the book of Hebrews. Remember how Hebrews begins. In the past, God spoke at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews opens with a reminder that God speaks. And he has spoken definitively and finally in his son. And that word of God, Hebrews 4 tells us, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This word of God is powerful in the midst of all the false words that confront the church during its present pilgrimage. And how wonderful it is then to consider Hebrews 13, verse 8. It sort of seems to come out of nowhere, this great, wonderful, doctrinal statement that we like to put on plaques on our walls Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Why does Paul say, uh, sorry. Why does the author of Hebrews say this here? Whatever his name was. I do that every time I talk on Hebrews, at least once. Maybe I know better. Why does the author of Hebrews say this here? Well, what a reminder it is. What an encouragement to know in the midst of trials that Jesus Christ is always the same. But we remember that Jesus Christ is this great and final word of God. The word of God that is ministered to us is nothing other than the word of Jesus Christ, that great, last, powerful word of God. As Jesus Christ is always the same, so that word which comes to us, that word which is ministered to us in the scriptures, is always the same. And it's with as much confidence as we have in Jesus Christ that he will not change. So his word will not change. And it will be our stronghold in the midst of our sufferings. But also note here in verse 7. They are to remember their leaders, not only those who, their leaders, not only insofar as they spoke God's word. But they are told to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. They are called to look upon these leaders, presumably these former leaders, to look at them as a sort of example, as a sort of model. It is certainly appropriate that they are told to imitate their faith, for faith is that first and foremost response to God's word as it is ministered. Hebrews 4, verse 2 The problem, a key problem with the Israelites of old is that they heard God's word but did not mix it with faith. And so the author of Hebrews has been exhorting these believers not to slip with respect to their faith, not to give up their faith, not to go back into the ways of Judaism. And they are told to look at their leaders, these leaders who have gone before them, these leaders who have apparently finished their earthly race. For he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at how they finished and be encouraged. They had obviously finished the race well. Perhaps they had died well. They had clung to the faith, and it was not in vain. Remember, remember how they finished and imitate their faith to a people that was 
a congregation that was apparently struggling with this. Do they persevere? Is Christianity worth sticking to? They're told to remember their leaders who persevered in the faith and to imitate that faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Let's consider also verse 17. In verse 17, we are told, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, it's interesting to consider this verse against the background of those verses that have come in between verses 7 and 17. One of the things that has been emphasized in these intervening verses is this idea of bearing reproach for the name of Christ brings in again this theme of suffering and hardship. We are told to remember that Jesus himself suffered outside the camp. He was rejected by the people. He was taken outside. And we are encouraged to go with him outside the camp and to bear his reproach. We are not to find our glory, our honor, our confidence in the things of this present world. For we do not have a lasting city here, but we have a city that is to come. And we live here as pilgrims and sojourners who suffer and who bear Christ's reproach. Now, what would this mean for the leaders, for the pastors of the church? Does their honorable position, described in verse 7, does that make them immune from this reproach for Christ's name? Well, if anything, it should make them all the more vulnerable to suffering, to persecution. All right? If there is bloodshed coming to this church, where would it begin? Most likely, perhaps, beginning with those who are most visible, those who are most vocal, those who are the leaders of this congregation. And in the light of this vulnerable position, that pastors have. So interesting to consider then, verse 17. First, the church is exhorted to obey their leaders and to submit to them. Now, who are these leaders? They are the leaders that minister the word of God to them. They are to be obeyed and submitted to not because of their own inherent authority, because of the power of their personality, but as those who minister the word of God, proper obedience and submission should be given. And this happens as we as the church remember that they are keeping watch over our souls. The church is encouraged to remember the magnitude of the task that pastors have. What they are doing is watching over the souls of God's sheep, They are commissioned to be this stronghold, this fortress in the midst of persecution and suffering. Let us remember that our leaders are given this great task to watch over our very souls. And we are also encouraged to remember that they will have to give an account. It is in many ways not enviable to be a pastor of the church. There is a higher standard There is accountability. One will have to answer before the Lord for the way one conducts himself in the ministry. 
And the church needs to remember that in the way that they look upon their pastors. They have a very, very weighty responsibility for which they are accountable. And the final thing that the church is reminded of here says, let them do this with joy. That is, let them conduct their task. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It is important for future ministers to remember that the pastoral ministry is hard, that it involves great sacrifice, that it involves sometimes great humiliations, and how appropriate it is that the church is reminded to help their pastors conduct their task with joy and not with groaning. There will be plenty of temptations to groan in the midst of a faithful ministry. Pastors are not beyond criticism. They are not beyond correction. And yet, in whatever, in whatever approach we take to our pastors, in whatever way we deal with them and interact with them, may we do so in a way that will promote their joy in that not only the heavy responsibility, but also the privilege they have of looking after the souls of their congregation. And the author is very pragmatic here. He says, that would be no advantage to you. It's no advantage to you if your pastor is burdened, if he goes to his study, if he goes into the pulpit, if he goes into the hospital room groaning as he is seeking to minister to you. It will be of no advantage if you are beating your pastor down. Seek your pastor's joy in his work and build him up in that task. And so may we be encouraged and exhorted by these words in the book of Hebrews. May those of us who minister and who will minister as pastors, may we remember the responsibility we have. It is a great task. It is, it is a weighty task. And yet it is not in our own strength. It is because of the ministry of the word of God which is entrusted to us that we can encourage and build up and protect our people. And for all of us, may we seek to encourage those who are in the ministry. May we offer proper submission, proper obedience. Yet may we remember the burden which pastors have. And may we do all that it takes to encourage them and to give them joy in that work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that as such we need not worry, we need not be anxious about what man can do to us. Never will you leave us, never will you forsake us. And we thank you that part of the way that you do protect us in this present age is through the faithful ministry of your word. We thank you for those you have raised up for this task. May you protect them. May you encourage them. May you make them faithful in that work. And through that ministry, and even through their example, as they persevere in the midst of trials and burdens, may you encourage your people and protect them. Oh Lord, we pray that as your word is ministered and as it is received, may all glory and honor be to our Lord Jesus Christ, that great and living word who endures forever. We pray this in his name.
Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.